Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday on This Week in Startups. I am going to make two J trades. I'm going to do two live trades of stocks on today's program. It is so fun. See an expert wade into an arena where he's not but quite an expert. Not yet. <laughs> but it also just gives us a new way to talk about companies and mm. their metrics. And on that note, actually, we're going to break down Netflix's Q2 earnings and talk yep. about uh, that whole arena. There may mm. or may not be a J trade involved. Okay. Very interesting. And then we do our startup of the day. Yeah. My guy, Yuri Milner, friend of mine. Uh, I mean, we're not besties or anything, but, but you know, I know, I know Yuri Milner, the famous investor who uh, did Facebook ha is reportedly going to invest a large amount of money at a huge valuation in Be Real, the social app. So that's our startup of the day. And we talk about the viral hooks and how you as a founder should think about engagement and hooks and why these companies become so val valuable, but also why they're kind of binary. They're zeros or ones. Yep. And then everybody's new favorite thing, another ah. edition of the blueprint. People are ah. loving the blueprint. Yes, yes, the blueprint. Uh, this is my new series where I try to tell you how to be successful in your life. And this is for founders, investors, just people generally, how to be successful in life based on what I've seen, what I've experienced and what I've seen other people do to become successful. Today's topic Mm, when to quit your job oh, oh really Ooh, spicy when to quit Highly your job is relevant to the world today. right now apparently because uh, molly quit her job jobs. molly quit That's her true. job she's That's quit her, a couple of jobs yeah for, you gotta know when, you gotta know when to fold them exactly That's it's gonna exactly. be a great show stick with us this week in startups is brought to you by byrace dev hiring a team of experienced developers doesn't need to be hard slow expensive or risky Go to byrace.dev slash twist and schedule a 20-minute chat to get a development team you'll love and get $10,000 off when you sign your first contract. Open phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. Open phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com dot com slash twist to get 20% off your first six months and visa are you a small business owner did you know that visa's online small business hub has tools discounts and resources to help you run your business learn more at visa.com slash small business hub okay everybody welcome to the show first up i'm going to talk about some j trading in relation to the Netflix quarterly results, their Q2 results came in. But before we start, let me just give a disclaimer, Molly. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. I am J trading. J A Y trading used the hashtag mm -hmm. J trading. What disclaimers do I need to give here, Molly? Uh, this is personal trading only. That's why it's called J trading. It is personalized to Jason. Got it. Nothing contained in this segment is to be taken as investment advice. You should consult okay. your own financial professional and make your own decisions. This is just for fun. Okay, and you're following my trades, just to be clear. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm doing everything that you say. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody to follow my trades, but I am smart and crafty. And what I'm trying to do here is get better at public market trading. I have never been a public market trader. So if you're following my J trades, it's not financial advice. I'm looking for financial advice. <laughs> He's like, help me. It's the opposite. <laughs> I have never day traded. 
And mm. to be honest, it's not day trading, it's J trading. What are the rules of J trading? We're going to make a rule set. There'll be the 10 commandments of J trading. Rule number one is buy companies that you want to own 10 and 20 years from now. Buy companies that you believe in enough that you will want to own them 10 or 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. That's my number one rule. Because I, I don't want to sit here and day trade. I want to build positions in companies that I think are great and own them for 10 years from now. Now, there'll be other rules of day trading that we'll get to um, when I figure them out. But right. this is a, a yeah. learning and public nine, process. We have one of the 10 commandments, nine to go. Nine to go. And we look forward could be to 20, that could be three. I do think like this is pretty interesting and fun that this is not something that you've done. And like Francis and the Nodi gang is saying, I also have never bought an individual public market yes. equity before. It's like this sort of like, uh, it's a it's a division of expertise that I find really fascinating. Okay, so that's, I think, a great point to bring up when we talk about J trading. I am an expert at private market investing in startups, right? Yeah. Every week, now two times a week, we're doing two 90 minute investment meetings with the team, you get to come to those, you see how quickly I can assess a startup. Yesterday, I was doing back of the envelope math, and then you pulled up I was like, well, this works if it was like $800, $824 a month. And you're like, oh, <laughs> like, um, here's the part it, in my notes where they say they charge $800 a month. And you just like, exactly. So yeah. you can kind of get, uh, now that doesn't ensure that we're going to win. It just means we're, we have a good process. So you can't, my belief is the thing you can work on is your process. And I think the process has to change constantly and be improved possibly, uh, constantly. And it's kind of fun to work on process, right? Like the process of doing this podcast. How can we make it better mm -hmm. each week, each day, each month? In private market investing and public market investing. I think we're in a unique position right now. The last two times the market crashed, I knew exactly what to buy. I didn't. This mm. is the third time in my life it's happening. I know, I think I know exactly what to buy because the last two times I was talking with my spouse about what I should buy and what would be great. And other people made trades and people have made trades based on what I've said on this show. And I just never got to experience making those trades. I always put my money in index funds like Vanguard, low fee. And I believe that's the best way to invest. I believe mm -hmm. the best way to invest is use like Wealthfront and to do index funds. Um, if you don't have time, but I'm going with through these with you an expert as well on, on, on markets every day. So I feel like we will make this more interesting on the pod if I place a bet. Mm -hmm. I think it'd make it more interesting if you place a small bet too. I'm not pressuring you to make small mm -hmm. bets. But you, know, well, you can drop you can drop the, a zero off my bets and i mean i will say add zero sure a, a no drop zero. a zero i didn't Maybe say add two. a zero no 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 i'm saying i'm, laughing I'm at gonna put a, a million to work you singular. can put a hundred thousand to work <laughs> um ironically you, uh, let me ask you this, i do though. own individual equities like i, I interestingly i have a okay. dual thanks to my financial advisor like i, I we have a three-legged strategy which is like there's you know it's mostly index funds got it uh there are individual equities and uh we're all about cash, like, you know, cash reserves, basically. But so like, I, I think it's sort of funny because like, we talk a lot about yeah. individual stocks yeah. um, in my in my world with my guy. Perfect. So this yeah. will be great to keep this conversation so I, going. I'm excited to compare like as you yes. like, for example, I own one of the things that you bought today. And, you know, great. I mean, yeah, that's mm -hmm. good. We have a good mm -hmm. discussion about it. So yeah. I think it'd be cool. Um, yeah, if we if we discuss those and I'm looking for the audience. So if you're if you're listening to the pod, you know, uh, I'm Jason at calicanus.com for life. That's my email. You can email me what you think of my trades. Please tell me if I'm making a stupid trade because I can reverse it. That's the nice thing about this is I could sell the shares and, and I'm, 
yeah. I'm not going to be bashful about this and I'm going to publish on a notion or code a page or whatever each trade and so we'll have that so we're gonna we're gonna markets, make this markets. very public so we all learn i bought 1500 shares the first j trade j trade number one mm -hmm. was uh stitch fix i bought my stitch fix and here is my stitch fix position <laughs> um i saw bill Gurley had the, done an insider trade because i think he's on the board of stitch fix mm -hmm. and he bought like a million shares at five bucks and change so i too bought 1500 shares at five dollars and 69 cents and um today i'm up almost six percent and my return for the week since the first change rate is 15.8 percent um <laughs> this could have easily been <sighs> minus 50 percent i mean we know the markets are volatile right now yep. but I want to announce my first J trade today, which is um, I put that little bet in last mm -hmm. week. And today I uh, put another bet in which we can pull up the trade. I'm doing the trades right now on Robinhood, but I'm open to a sponsorship here. If somebody has a great platform, I would like to make this a sponsored uh, part of the show. So anybody who's in that space who wants to give uh, support the show and sponsor, I will give them a shout out. I mean, I'm just saying NASDAQ, I already New York Stock Exchange, E-Trade. I, I don't care who it is. I already mug, so like, let's I'm go. I'm all about securing yeah. the bag. This Come is also on. a hedge. If I can get somebody to sponsor this and I lose 10%, I can probably uh -huh. be break even if the sponsor does it. So if you want me to screenshot your app, I'm already a shareholder in Robinhood, so I'm going to do that. But I'm, I, you can buy me uh, here <laughs> and I'll, I'll make my trades on your platform or do my and research on your so platform. It's so fun to be here and not on Marketplace. <laughs> I am a super capitalist. This, and, and You know what we say in our business, Molly? Uh, no conflict, no contrast, No interest. <laughs> uh, now, my second J trade is in the same company. <gasps> I, I decided. You're down. I decided I'd double down. I like Stitch Fix, uh, you know, and so I bought another 3,500 shares of uh, S Fix at $6.52. So I am going to ride my winners. So here we go. Hooray. Uh, this is Hooray. in the uh, Robinhood app, which I have That's shares adorable. in, and I was an angel investor in. So I just bought 3,500 more. So now I have 5,000 shares of Stitch Fix, and my average blended average is probably like six bucks or something. So we'll be tracking. That's the second one. All right, everybody, when you raise a big round of funding, like a Series A or greater, you're going to be under a lot of pressure. What is the pressure going to be? You need to scale. You're going to need to scale fast. And guess what? You can't scale sales and marketing until you've got a product figured out, right? Well, Buy, Raise, Dev enables you to scale your product team in just a few days. They provide Silicon Valley level engineering talent on demand. That's right. You demand it, they provide it. With a team of highly qualified engineers, Buy, Raise, Dev is focused on later stage startups and larger companies because they can handle all the annoying stuff, payroll, benefits, and they can have these engineers ready to go in under three days. And their devs all speak fluent English and they're in the same time zone. Byraise Dev vets over 1.3 million applications every year. You know how many they pick to work with? 1%. That's why they got a 91 NPS score with over 460 active clients, including several Fortune 500 companies. They're crushing it and they want to crush it for you. Now, let me spell it for you. B-A-I-R-E-S dot dev slash twist. B-A-I-R-E-S dot D-E-V slash twist to book an intro call. And they're going to give you $10,000 off your first contract. $10,000 off at byres dot dev slash twist. Okay, now let's do our first story today. All right. And also <laughs> for Robinhood, 
I don't know why I can only deposit 50k a day. It's not baller. Can can you make this like so I can deposit a half million dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars? Yeah, day? I mean you might you need to make like a, a J trade exception there, guys. Yeah, come on. I think what you need to do baller. is oh is producer talk Nick, who is a gambler. Okay, you producer talk Nick. To your, I, I'll be honest with you. You got to talk to your big kid bank. And they'll let you deposit whatever amount I mean, of money it's actually you want. Really My Morgan true. Stanley come or on. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Come on. yeah, yeah. I just I like. You the, know who Robin, Robin Hood's not for you. It's I like the interface like at Robin Hood. I like when the confetti flies when I make a train. I'm sorry. I mean that is pretty. <laughs> but I I, I you think put, you got you got to put your the big best boy segments pants that on. Ever I but think E-Trade, true. from what I understand, like a lot of the people who are day trading are using E-Trade maybe too. So I don't know which has more features would be better for me, but I'm going to go with my guys at Robin Hood for now. Uh, all right. I just need to make it a little more baller, please. Okay. Well, on a related note, yes, let's talk First about story. public market stock. Great. Netflix reported Q2 earnings yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were okay, is my understanding. Uh, but I can give you the numbers up front. Q2 cash and short-term investments, $5.8 billion. So, you know, money Plenty in the bank. Cash. They were meh. Thank you, producer Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Results were meh. The stock was up a few percent, um, but nothing. I mean, not a disaster. Yeah, the broader nothing... market's been up, right? So this concept of bouncing along the bottom. Yeah, you exactly. Know, but the the results are a little troubling in terms of subscribers, but the okay in terms thing. of revenue. Exactly. So this is what we have to understand here. We've got to right. figure this out. All right. So we have. So let's talk about subscribers first, because I think okay. that's sort of the number that everybody was looking for, because they had predicted in Q1 that they were going to lose 2 million subscribers in Q2. They were like, just prepare yourselves and buckle up, everybody. They announced, though, that they lost 970,000 subscribers quarter over quarter. That's still like a pretty terrible number if you're a subscriber-based company, but it's, you know, obviously less than half what they predicted that they would lose. And then they said that in Q3, they expect to increase subscriber count by a million. How do they know this, Molly? How do they know in Q1 that they're going to lose subscribers in Q2, but then gain them in Q3? Yeah, is I that based on a tentpole film? So this is a J trading question for anybody if they have an idea of how Netflix can predict this. Because if you can predict it, can't you like mitigate it or change it? Right. Um, but here's the thing. Q2 revenue is up year over year by 8.6%. So that's mm-hmm. a slower growth company, right? We're not talking about a high growth company anymore based on the revenue and based on the total subscribers. So something bad is happening at Netflix. What do we think is the problem at Netflix, Molly? What do you think the problem at Netflix is? I have my own theories, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll volley it to you. What's yeah. one thing they're doing wrong, or two things you're doing? They're doing wrong. I think I would say there, there's the one wins? thing that they're not doing wrong. It's not their fault exactly, but that's competition. They okay. just have a ton of competition, and the competition is good. And then okay. I think the second thing they're doing is that they're just not. I mean, although they announced that they're going to do this lower priced ad supported tier. I just don't think the content is premium enough hmm. to justify the price. And if they lost a, almost a million subscribers in the as they released Stranger Things, then you know this, the current season of Stranger Things just came out. It's all anybody can talk about. It's probably why they lost nine hundred seventy thousand instead of two million. But like, I just went and looked at my Netflix plan yep. the other day because yeah. I'm in a cost cutting mood. And oh. I was like, oh, God, I'm paying $19.99 for this ultra, ultra HD, blah, 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 which like, no, dropped it down to the mi- middle tier, which got is it. HD You got off only. the 4K or 2K and you just went to HD 1080p. I just went to HD, HD and that still is 15 bucks a month. And I was so like, you saved I don't know, man. 60 bucks a year just going to 
what would look like HDTV versus just regular, exactly like 1080p, which is Got fine. It. I don't need, you know, right. I don't need 4K. I don't need F Boy Island to be in 4K on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> like, Dude. what are they doing? That's an actual show on Netflix. All right. The so content there, so there sucks. is the problem. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Number one, competition. Correct. Serious competition. Number two, that Netflix is blowing. Their content stinks. It sucks. Content is not as good nope. and not as unique, especially compared to other choices out there. I'm going to unpack that a bit. So competition, bad content decisions. Yeah. Okay. Number three, uh, not exactly their fault. Uh, number three, pricing. Mm -hmm. They decided they would ram and jam and raise the prices. Mm -hmm. So right now there's three plans. $10 for 480p, $15 for 1080, 1550 for 1080p, and $20 for 4k. I mean, this is a staggering amount for a of second? money. 480p for $10 a month, suck it. Like just yeah, I, mean, I literally on. just read that. I didn't know that their cheapest tier is 480p. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Because that's what I would this have dropped down to. And then this I had an absolute bit and almost canceled the whole thing when I saw the 480p. Okay. You got to be kidding me. This is dumb. Who's paying for 480, number one? Number two, is this how you segment your users? Why are we segmenting users like this? This sounds dumb. Mm -hmm. This sounds like the creatives and the product people have lost control of the company to the CFO and some wonky, you know, spreadsheet jockey who is now saying, oh, if we want to optimize, you know, if we, if we just boil the frog and we upgrade everybody to $20, that's $200 a year. And we're going to lose like 3 million subscribers. So we'll lose 1%, but we'll raise the prices 5% because they just raised the prices. Mm -hmm. So here's what happens when you have this many subscribers, Molly. And this is what happens in a big company. Reed Hastings starts having like two people, two factions inside the company. One factions are the artists and the product people, the creatives of the world. Yeah. And then there's the freaking bean counters. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happening is Reed Hastings is getting steered off course by the bean counters because these moves are bean counter moves not visionary moves yep. and reed hastings needs to come into the office today and say enough of the mashugana too much nonsense we got how did we win how did we get here great content let's stop playing games with the customer base let's have fair pricing and simple pricing but no these bean counters oh you know so this is the, as Antonio Grassi has said at the All-In Summit, the over-financialization of the P&L. Yeah. Every company gets to this point. And they're just manipulating stuff to optimize us. And you know what? We're consumers. We're smart. Molly doesn't, it doesn't matter to Molly. I know her salary. I negotiated it. I know her like net worth. I, I know her future possibilities. I can tell you for Hollywood, 240 versus, you know, 20 month or 15 makes no difference. But- Nobody likes to mad. be abused. Exactly. This is it about makes me abuse. Mm -hmm. So Netflix, you're not making the great content. You got serious competition that's got better offerings at better prices. Wake up. The beginning and end of this is killer content and not price manipulation. So Netflix has got some serious but solvable problems. There is also this fourth thing I'll bring up, which is the natural audience size. There is a natural audience size to any service. And then when you hit it, it's very hard to add the incremental subscribers. So what we might be seeing here is Netflix with all this competition hitting what I'll call a natural audience, a ceiling. Yeah. Now, this is where I think the advertising business, I'm warming up to it, could be a great business. I need to know what do other streaming services make 
in revenue per user. So there is a free version of Hulu, correct? Like you can use Hulu for free, I believe. I pay for it. I paid to get the ads off of it. I still see freaking ads. Yeah. But I believe you can get it. There's so? a free tier of Hulu. Somebody let me know. Um, but Disney's ARPU <laughs> is about, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a free Hulu? I don't yeah. know if there is. Yeah. So anyway, we, we don't anyway. want the subscription revenue. What we need to understand is what is this new Netflix tier going to be? Is it going to be like five bucks a month with ads or free with ads? Advertisers do want to reach the Netflix audience, but they're not going to reach these tiers that are already subscribers. Mm -hmm. So I predict if they do a free tier, they're going to lose a bunch of subscribers. So this just seems like chaos at this business. I do like the boldness of doing the Microsoft deal. And if it was free, I, I do. I don't think they can launch a free service, right, Molly? If they launched a free service completely ad supported, who's going to pay? Right. They're going to just hemorrhage cash. So that's yeah. not a good idea. No, it's so, got to be like five or six bucks. And then I'm sorry, but that $10, 480 tier, you can have it in countries where there isn't a lot of TV penetration. Like somebody pointed out that the international market, there's a, but then you need to offer it internationally for $5, $10 a month for 480p is insulting. So dump that. I mean, that's got to go. It's been, it's so interesting because it has been really a a stagnation in not only content, but in innovation. Cause one of the other things that got Netflix to where is to where it was is yes, first mover advantage, but also remember like they saw the streaming thing so early, right? There was a recognition of this streaming trend, which is why it was called Netflix, even though it was DVD rentals. And they pushed for streaming. And Mm. remember, they had that misstep where they tried to spin off a different streaming service from the DVD service. It had that weird name. Quickie, Quibi? No, Quibi was different. Quibi was the other thing. Yeah. The heck was the name of the remember when they tried to, and it was like- Quickstar? Flixblam. I don't know. It was awful. It was so terrible. Okay. So anyway, so but uh, like Netflix they have not is, innovated since then. Right. They've not put out good. Co- you either have to put out banger content nonstop yes. HBO style. Yeah. Or you have to have a really cool innovation like shared viewing or social networking or all of the things that we have thrown at Netflix this whole yeah. time. So uh, my feeling on Netflix is this company's a bit lost and the founder is, uh, you know, I don't think Reed Hastings is doing a good job. I'm just no. going to be honest. I think Reed Hastings, obviously brilliant. It's interesting. But maybe he made too much money, or maybe he's got people pulling him in different directions. But I think optimization probably was the name of the game the whole time. Because actually, now I'm thinking about what you said about optimizing for the financials. Like, if you think about what we know about Netflix's culture, which is always about optimizing for the best performers, and they've yes. created this like very like murder culture. That I wonder if that, yeah, is that kind got of them here. That's not going to get them here. there. Yeah, no. Because so you, sometimes, you kill innovation, you kill risk when you make people like I suffer think that's what's for any miss any performance misstep. Because sometimes you have to fail in order to take a risk. And what you that, see with their yeah. fire hose of crappy content is no risk taking. I think that they built a culture with some risk taking, um, based on what I know of the culture. But yeah. I do think there's something here about this cutthroat culture of performance. Maybe it bled over into um, how they run the business and how they deal with consumers. And maybe consumers don't want to be optimized like this. I think we yep. want it to be simple. And I, I think so. we're all looking at Disney Plus and HBO Max. That's simple. And these two services and Hulu. Right now, if I had to rank my four or five services, I also got Paramount. I think Netflix is fourth or fifth. I know mm-hmm. that Disney and HBO Max and Hulu are like in a really crazy first second and third and paramount i'm liking because i like star trek and so i think the yeah. ip wars um everybody knows how to leverage ip 
And I think that puts Netflix in the worst position. And then I didn't even bring up Amazon, but I like the boys and I'm into James Bond. So I'm interested to see what they do with that. Yes. Yeah. And then they have the Lord of the Rings coming. So I kind of feel like Amazon's got me hooked and it's included in Prime, right? I don't even have to pay for it. I have Amazon mm -hmm. Prime, so I get it. The only so, reason I didn't cancel Netflix the other day is because I started watching this dumb show called The Lincoln Lawyer, and I'm going to finish that season. And after that, I'm like, I think I'm out. Quickster, by the way, was the name of the D DVD oh service. God. They were going to like have Netflix and Quickster with a Q. Q-W-I-K-S-T-E-R. Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal numbers. They put them in company documents, they use them for sales calls, all this stuff. And to make matters even more messy, when you do that, you don't know who's calling. Is it a sales prospect? Is it somebody you're trying to hire? Or is it somebody from your kid's school? I don't know. It could be anybody. It could be an old flame. You don't want to get random calls during your summer barbecue. That's where Open Phone comes in. They let you create business phone numbers. You just go to their website, openphone.com slash twist. You can create a phone number and account in under a minute. I kid you not. And you give everybody on your team a phone number. Then they download an app and you're done. It really is that simple. You can also do round robin. So we have a general sales call number and it goes from one person to the next to the next. Or you can have everybody's phone ring at the same time. First person to pick it up gets the call. That's the way to do it for customer service. This isn't like the old days. We have to buy a bunch of hardware. No, this is all done in software. And that's why it's so affordable. Open phone has a starting price of just $10 a month. I kid you not. But Twist listeners can get 20% off any plan for the first six months by signing up at openphone.com slash twist. If you have an existing number, they'll port it over for free. O-P-E-N-P-H-O-N-E dot -E com slash twist. Openphone.com slash twist. What does HBO Max cost? I'm, that's the other thing I'm curious about. So I, I'm almost talking myself into Molly right now shorting Netflix. <laughs> which I don't even want to bring shorting into day trading because that's not that my vibe. Fast. But I'm literally feeling like there is, you know, uh, some hubris going on here with Netflix. And mm -hmm. I just want to pull up one chart. And this is what I said on CNBC before Disney Plus even existed. I said Disney Plus is going to uh, catch up and then exceed the number of subscribers as Netflix. I believe that's still going to happen. And here's the chart that proves it. Uh, here we are, mm. <laughs> you know, like from a cold start to now... Disney These Plus are, is 140. Is Plus. Oh my God, 140 million. Like they're literally, Disney Plus is the T Rex chasing the Jeep in uh, Netflix's Jeep in Jurassic Park. Like this object, you know, appears uh, closer, <laughs> maybe a closer, whatever that mirror thing is. Uh, like is closer than it may appear. <laughs> yeah, like that T Rex is about to absolutely stomp on netflix's jeep netflix What's, is screwed netflix oh, is 220 million okay so if Whoa, they just keep really? going yeah so i mean you had you had 10 10 million you know subs a quarter netflix wow. is losing 1 million a quarter whatever the flip's gonna happen and i think disney is just getting started yeah that's my also, thesis the noties are making a couple of good points one okay never yeah, short at, points? don't short at the bottom of the overall market Okay, that's a fair point, right? But you could do a put option, says Ali Bear, to take advantage of any downside. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> We're getting high level J trading here. But also um, that people are leaving Netflix for YouTube. Mm -hmm. And we haven't really even included YouTube in our kind of premium subscription category. But if you already pay yeah. for YouTube premium. If we yes. start to see more specials going there or big creators or big sure. talent doing YouTube specials. I mean, this is actually, this is time for YouTube to pounce. Well, and um, that's interesting you bring that up because then there's also uh, TikTok taking people's share of screen. So right. 
I think the headwinds against Netflix are tremendous. I think the management is doing a terrible job. So Netflix is not my J trade. Yeah. But my second J trade of the day is Disney. So we can pull up my Disney trade today. Mm -hmm. Now, I am making um, not a fundamental bet here because um, I know that Disney historically has not performed great and everybody loves the stock because they love the product. But I think we're at a unique moment in time here. I'm going to make my claim that in 10 to 20 years, I could see Disney having, wait for it, the first streaming company in history to hit 1 billion global subs. Now, that seems absurd, right? Five times what Netflix has right now and seven times what they have right now. I know it sounds crazy, but I do think over time, Disney can charge a very low price and just get everybody on the planet to buy this thing. And I'm talking not just about the developed world, I'm talking about uh, emerging markets and then eventually frontier markets where they could have advertising on it. So Disney is incredibly advertising friendly. Their content spans all categories. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, ESPN, Hulu, everything put together is uh, just amazing. If you put together Disney's total combined subs it's at 205 million just so people know disney owns hulu which has 45.6 million and espn which has 20 espn plus which has 22.3 i think it would be amazing uh if disney kept buying stuff like if they own cnn and they or they had their own news network cnn plus could be 2030 i could see them just continuing to buy subscription-based services i could see them buying like com.com and then adding a couple of million subs disney is going to become the global sub leader and I think they're going to have five, six, seven of these subscription services and then super mega bundles and everything. So here's my next trade. Pull it up, Nick. Uh, I bought, before we got on air, 250 shares of Disney at $103. Boom. And I am going to continue to increase positions possibly as more good news comes out or trim positions. But I always wanted to own Disney. I always wanted to build a position in it. And, and there's my other skin in the game trade i would never buy netflix at this point i think netflix is like a complete disaster right now simplify this you. and make better content yeah what would make you buy netflix what would make me buy netflix on okay. a product basis mm, all right fine. if they had uh an entirely innovative new storytelling format that they embraced that made it less likely for me to churn what would those be we've talked about it before here I think podcasting would be number one for me and casual games would be number two. Uh, if they made an IP purchase that I thought would be accretive, like if they had bought uh, James Bond and uh, whatever the studio was MGM. around the, MGM. So, it, or if they had bought Lord of the Rings, like Bezos did for a billion and you know, spent a billion dollars on it. I think they're, they're not making bold bets that make me excited. I also think a third thing that would make me excited about Netflix would be if they had a way to incentivize creatives to be with them for decades at a time. How would they do mm. that? If they went to Quentin Tarantino and said, I know you're going to do 10 movies. We want you to do five more. Not only are we going to pay you this amount of cash, we're going to give you this amount of equity. And we want you to do Quentin Tarantino presents a 20 part film series that you produce and have control over at $30 million budget for the films. And we want to do 10 Quentin Tarantino presents films. You can write them. You could direct them, you could act in them, whatever you want, QT. But we're going to make a bold bet on artists, on auteurs who have a vision 
that will pull in people and that would be risk taking. I don't want to see F boys. I don't want to see, you know, this other nonsense. I think if they took a Robert Evans, you know, 1970s approach, mm -hmm. you know, Katzenberg, who worked at Paramount with Robert Evans, like these folks made crazy, interesting bets. So who's an auteur who you could get into the fold and then change the incentive? Because remember, when Netflix started, the creatives wanted to go there for creative freedom and because they paid twice as much. Now, they didn't get a back end. I think Netflix should come up with a back end system for artists. And they should come over the top because mm. you, you get somebody like Favreau, you know, doing all the Star Wars stuff. Right. Disney is, you know, he's secured major bags over there. So you lost Favreau, who is, you know, just a modern genius uh, at creating content. How could they have gotten Favreau? How could they, you know, court these things, you know, yeah. uh, these serious ones? So those are my three. And I, I don't know what order I would put them in. Mm -hmm. um, change the business model with creative. So you are the number one place. So let's say, you know, they get um, some residuals, right? So... Mm -hmm. We're just going to give you some sort of back end. So now people are like, you know, because remember the Simpsons, like my friend Jim Brooks, you know, created co-created the Simpsons, like he owns the rights to the Simpsons and you see he gets paid yeah. and all the Simpsons people get paid over and over again. The Seinfeld people get paid over and over again. Those deals are over. I was just doing my reality TV deal, which kind of fell apart um, oh. yesterday. Well, it's okay. I just negotiated very hard of what I wanted. And mm. they were like, I think the gap's too big. Like the last time you did a reality show, like these terms you're asking for existed i don't think they exist anymore so we'll see if we restarted or not but it was with like one of the it was with the top reality company but they're like this doesn't exist anymore jake i don't we don't want to insult you and i was like all right let me think about it interesting um i don't know if it's a negotiating tactic or not um I, but yeah go ahead elite, mm -hmm. just to summarize uh the a better business model for creatives and a better um verticals like podcasting games or something you know you know maybe signing some crazy or tours to some really crazy ambitious deals like you know you, you got dave chappelle in the fold what if they did a dave chappelle presents and they just said dave we just want you to pick 10 comedians and give them three million dollar specials 10 specials dave chappelle presents you come on stage you introduce them you do a 10 minute set and then you have them go boom or you whatever it's just dave chappelle presents like do something innovative like that yes to all of that and there's a simplify pricing maybe I mean, a hundred percent simplify pricing, like get rid of that stupid, like just have like one price. I mean, seriously, Sports deal. it's not like Disney plus is like, Oh, do you want the ultra HD or the, 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 it costs 15 bucks a month. The end, like do they you know? And I mean, you could have tiers if you wanted, if you want to stick with tiers, then yes, have live sports, have news, have something like that. I, what I was thinking about is that the, the like Hollywood creator industry is kind of a mess right now. And I'm not just talking about the auteurs and the talent. I mean, like writers, mm -hmm. right? Writers and editors are in disarray in Hollywood. How they're so? super underpaid. They Got keep it. going on strike because they're just like completely disrespected. Like I could imagine a universe where Netflix becomes the yeah. shop for the creative industry. Don't start playing what... Ugh. I had a news tab open that started playing <laughs> yeah, like a video no after five minutes. I mean, I think that's interesting too. But I like, think there's you like, know. you could be creating great content with phenomenal writers and editors by like mm -hmm. just bringing them on and paying them, I don't know, five to 10% more than they're getting paid and giving them decent contracts. Like I, I think, you know, this is, I'm not trying end. to like, the back end is where I would do it. Or sure. Give them equity, like change that's the way what that I like. editors change and writers get paid structure. and change it right to now, equity. I Huge. was an investor in my friend's film and, 
I've been talking a very small amount of money. A group of my friends got together. They created a little SPV, an LLC. We each put like, I think, 25 grand in it or something small. And we backed our friend's independent film. His first one, Strode a Profit, his second one had Arnie Hammer in it before his career blew up. And so it didn't do as well. But uh, long story short, it's the, the, the equity structures in film kind of cap how much you're going to make. You wind up selling it. The person owns all the rights to it. You never see any back end. I think coming up with an innovative way to do backend, hey, if we have yeah. this, whatever our revenue is, we're putting a 10% pool of our revenue together. And whatever the top performing, you know, things in the archive are, we're going to, you know, splashy cashy everybody on the project. Totally. And Here's do that up and down this, the creative stack. And all yeah. of a sudden you have changed the mm -hmm. industry and everybody wants to work for you. The only you other people, so. Todd Phillips. You know, my guy, Todd Phillips, who I played cards with sometimes, really smart guy. He had, he bet on himself with the hangover. I think he, he put it, he may have put his own money into Joker or he gave his fees away and he, you know, he wow. got a lot of money for Joker. So he, he's, he's figured this out too. And so, yeah, get Todd Phillips and just secure the bag with him. Um, yeah. Here's two other ideas. You guys uh, might've seen the Saudis created their own golf league. They backed up the Brinks truck. They got a sick plane. And they're like, yeah, we're gonna, you know, whatever, uh, human rights wash. I don't know what the word for human wa rights wash, but we're gonna, you know, greenwashing kind of thing. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. It's just like we're gonna we're gonna wash our human rights abuses uh, by getting all the golfers you love and giving them tens of millions of dollars when they're kind of on the tail end of their careers. But it's mm -hmm. gonna be fun to watch. And these golfers are having the time of their life because they gave them a jet that's like been retrofitted with a cocktail lounge and poker tables and all mm -hmm. this other craziness. Mm -hmm. This is a crazy idea. If I'm running Netflix right now, I'm going to put $20 billion aside. And I'm going to start two leagues. One is going to be an esports league. I'm going to start the Netflix esports league. And I'm going to put up serious freaking prize money. And I'm going to have it live on Netflix and ad supported. And I'm going to get all these young people to watch Starcraft, you know, uh, League of Legends, whatever your jam is on there. And I'm going to put serious prizes, like a million dollars a week, $50 million a year. And then at the end, another $50 million a year. And I'm going to get yeah. all of those crazy video game people to be on uh, Netflix gaming or Netflix esports. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to allow anybody who's whitelisted and approved in the e-gaming to stream live. And I'm going to go stick it right to Twitch. Twitch. Because yep. now I'm an ad-supported business. Yep. So I'm going to earmark $10 billion for that. Number two, I'm going to take the other $10 billion and I'm going to look at the NBA, right? NBA is as good as it gets. And NBA goes from, you know, the urban market to middle America and people who like the Pacers to urban markets where people like the Knicks and the Lakers and then all the rich people who want to be sidelined in their courtside seats. It transcends all categories. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take out all the spots, uh, stops, and I'm going to create a league for NBA players. Now we have that big three league or whatever that you, maybe you buy that, or maybe you start your own tournament and it's in the summer and it's an open tournament and anybody can play in it. And it's got a serious purse. Like you show up with five, you show up with a team of seven or eight, eight people. You can only play eight people, do something really innovative. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, X number of minutes. It's got gambling built into it, wagering built into it. And boom, you just pay those people like some serious amount of money to come. You put them up, you do a six week tournament or four week tournament. It's really exciting. Yeah. And, um, you know, all these players who are retired or maybe out of the league can play in it. Or I don't know if the NBA players would be allowed to play in it or not. 
um but you could get all the global players and you just make it would be amazing mm -hmm. and they would get huge huge yeah july madness let's, july let's madness. go i love it yeah i mean it might be uh, yeah. soccer might be the it's better great. one to do i don't know what would be better but I mean, you, I would strategically so global, but earmark those two things and yeah. then put wagering in so this is the kind of bold bets that founder can make what i'm talking about right. are founder bold bets not wonks these wonks are killing netflix the accounting department needs to shut the frick up you have nothing to say anymore enough with the bean counters whatever mba is presenting nonsense to how they can optimize the revenue and squeak out a little bit here stop squeaking out and yeah. do the march to a billion that's the race the march to a billion subs and forget about this like optimizing for this quarter optimize for 2032 yeah. that's what i want to see long yeah. bets because that's i, I want to 10x my money i want to 5x my money i want to beat the market i don't want to just eat this out you know enough with these nerd bean counters they're not invited to the meetings anymore that's it they got us into this mess i don't want them in the meetings i want five creative people in the meetings with big ideas that you asked me what i would why i would bet on netflix big ideas is why i would invent and they don't yeah. have big ideas they got small ideas the other thing i want to talk about potential j trade um so i'm fa I, would it be fading i'm fading the um I'm fading the Netflix trade. I might even be short Netflix. I don't, you know, I don't know how to short stocks, really. I've never done that in my life. So I'm yeah, fading sorry. would be taking the opposite of someone right. else's pick. Right. So, so theoretically, yeah, there is no real equivalent for fading in, in get from gambling to stock market, but it would be shorting. Yeah. So, but I'm not going to short it at this point, but I will say I'm also looking, I'm considering Microsoft right now. And I, that might be a trade I make later this week. Microsoft won that deal with Netflix. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think, that is a good trade because i think that's going to bring a lot of advertisers last quarter had three last quarter microsoft reported three billion in revenue uh, in advertising linkedin has surpassed 10 billion in ad revenue over the past 12 months yeah so that's a big so portion they, they report those stats a little weird mm. in the quarterly report they don't actually tell you the exact amount that linkedin has they just say over the last 12 trailing 12 months it was over 10 billion and then last quarter they reported over 3 billion of ad revenue and just to look at the charts for Netflix, here's their price to sales ratio. We talk about that a lot uh, on the show. Their price to sales ratio is very low. It was over 14x in 2018 when it was a darling and every quarter they were adding millions of subscribers. And now yeah. you see absolutely plummeting down to 2.7 times with the broader market. But if you're not growing, you're dying. That's how it works in our industry. Mm -hmm. If you're not growing, you're dying. Uh, and we want to invest in things that are growing and have big vision. It's so interesting because even the ad even creating an ad supported tier tier is to your point more tweaking and financialization and optimizing like it really is it's not mm. it's not yeah. getting in there it's in it's more like it's innovators dilemma stuff like we're it's not really definitely sure. innovators dilemma i yeah i liked when they sorry to cut you off i i liked when they were like we just don't believe in ads we believe in storytelling it's worth right. paying for but, but i think if you do enough storytelling. I'm trying to think if you were in that position, I were in the position, we were making the decision. If we felt that the subscribers were hitting the natural ceiling of people willing to pay for any online service and it wasn't us, it was just the nature of some people will pay for TV and some people don't want to pay for TV. Mm -hmm. Then I would say it's a a good pivot, right? It's not financial optimization. It's a recognition of hitting that ceiling and needing to extend and get that audience on the platform, right? right. So you know, if it was it's combined with growth. sports and it was combined with my esports, right. then exactly. I could see it being really good. Then maybe it they, maybe they're planning that. Yeah. Like what it feels like is a growth pivot, not an mm -hmm. innovation pivot. Yeah. If it were combined with any 
of mm. your ideas, any one of those, yeah. then it would feel like an innovation pivot instead of a growth pivot because a growth pivot feels like smart, mm. but maybe can only take you so far. You're just going to hit another plateau eventually, right? I agree. Uh, yeah. okay. I own Microsoft and I own Disney. Great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've owned them for a while or? Not that long. Oh, okay. Because, you know, yeah. journalism. Ooh. Journalism. Oh, right. It's very exciting, actually. I was totally like, hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 do we see a world where they're not going to be you know, important companies. Okay, everybody, after the break, we're going to do episode two of The Blueprint. Stick with us. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit card or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa business card in Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers, which can help you turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa business card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash small business hub. Once again, that's visa.com slash small business hub. Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, everybody, it's time for episode two of The Blueprint. This is my series where I teach you how as a executive to maximize your career opportunities, basically how you can become successful. And it's not just based on what I've done in my career. It's based on me investing in 350 plus companies interviewing thousands of founders on this very podcast this week in startups and being friends with the most successful people in the world. So today's is a very simple one, which is when should you quit your job? This is a question I get all the time when people want to start companies or they feel like they're in a dead end. You want to quit your job when you're not learning anymore, or you have other opportunities. For me, that's the general framework. Are you getting more responsibilities and learning? And is your income going up? And what should your income go up every year? Well, that's a very personal question. Um, And those two things you can look at as a matrix. If you're learning a ton and your salary is going up a modest amount, that's fine because you're learning a ton. You're investing in yourself. So this is what working at a startup really on this matrix means. So if you were to make a matrix on one side was how much you're learning, zero or 10, 10 being you're learning everything you can, you can't believe how much you're learning, you're sitting next to Bob Iger, or Jeff Bezos, or whoever it is, and you're just a sponge learning everything and building your network. Great, that's a 10. Most jobs, you're probably learning three, four, right? You're on a three or four setting. Yeah, you know, every couple of weeks, you might run into some new software, or you might meet somebody interesting, or your boss gives you a new project. Some places have incredible comp, like you're a salesperson. So let's say you're a sales executive, you're selling SaaS software, you're not learning anything you're a great sales executive, you're on like a one. But you're on a 10 in terms of making money because the company's booming, you're selling Salesforce, you know, in the boom years or Oracle when it was growing or Slack when it was going gangbusters, man, and just every year you make 20% more money, 30% more money, it's just you can't believe it because you built a book of business. Okay, you put yourself on that matrix. If you're on the top, right, you're growing money. Uh, your salary is growing seven, eight, nine, ten, and you're learning seven, eight, nine, ten, <laughs> you're not going anywhere. You're at Google during the boom years, you're at Facebook or Uber, working for Travis, Larry, Sergey, Zuck, and your your stock options are becoming worth more money, your salary is going up some amount or some combination of those two things, and you're learning, don't get off the rocket ship. Now, if you're at Facebook, and it's, you know, 2020, 
and the company's got headwinds and you're not really learning anything, but they're paying you extra money. Sure, you could stay for the bag, but I wouldn't do it because life is precious and you have to make those decisions. So let's say you do make the decision, hey, you're quitting. Let's say you've made that decision. Your salary is going up, you know, whatever, three or 4% a year. You're not getting any carry share that's growing. You're not getting any uh, equity that's growing. It's flatlined and you're not learning. They pigeonholed you. You're good at one thing. They told you keep doing your thing, stay in your lane. It's time to leave. You've made that decision on the matrix. You're a three and a three. Uh, okay, it's time to go. You want to do it correctly. Now, there's a couple of things you just want to go through this checklist and make sure if you were thinking about developing a new product or service, you got to make sure and you should know this now that any IP that you make while working for another company, they can have a claim on, especially if you use their equipment or you do it during their time. And this has happened many times in history where somebody was working at Google and they didn't get an IP carve out. This could be a podcast. This could be a piece of software. It could be a conference. You did that while you're working for another company. They could have a claim on it. So that's why you go to your boss and say, hey, I'm doing a side hustle project on the weekends. I started a podcast. Can I get an exemption from my IP assignment that you don't own this? And then you have a really, you know, honest talk with your boss. If your boss is a jerk, they might be like, I don't want you doing that. And then you have to make a decision if you're going to leave or not. Or the boss might be like, hey, I would like that to be part of what we're doing here at inside or launch. Or they might say, yeah, we don't care. That's not competing with our business. So you have to make sure your IP is clean. Uh, if you're considering doing some IP stuff later, you also probably need to have runway and cash if you're going to step away and start a company. So these are two very important checkboxes. If you're quitting and starting a company, you may have kids in school, you may have a mortgage payment, you want to lower your burn rate to the lowest possible burn if you're going to go start a company or you're going to be entrepreneurial how do you do that sell your house rent a cheap place or own a place that you own outright that's incredibly affordable have six months 12 months of runway if you got six months of runway cut your burn in half and get to 12. i'm talking about your personal burn here so some people they might be spending 15k a month because they got kids in school they have three car leases get rid of a couple car leases buy an e-bike downgrade, you know, get rid of your car, own a Prius, whatever it's going to be to lower your cash burn during this period. If you have a spouse or a partner, make sure you have this conversation with them. Hey, I want to lower our personal burn rate, because my income from working at Google is going to go away. So we need to lower our cost structure. This is why moving to a really cheap place and having your team live 30 minutes outside of Austin or 30 minutes outside of, uh, you know, Miami, you can still be in a great city, but you're 30 minutes out, you can still do your meetings in the city, but you have to commute, but you're gonna be working home anyway. So just think that through, hey, maybe go to Tulsa and get them free money they're going to give you uh, and your babysitting, make sure you have the skills online already that you're going to need in your startup. So if you're working for me, Let's say you're a producer here at This Week in Starts, but you want to start a company. Well, if you think you need to learn no code, like don't quit and then learn no code. Take your Saturdays. Your Saturdays are now five hours of doing no code. You, you can go out at night. You can sleep in in the morning, but 12 to 5 every Saturday, you're going to focus on teaching yourself that skill. When you do leave and you start your company, you have enough runway. This next one is very important to leaders. So if you're a leader of a company, you have employees, you should tell them this when they come in, don't burn bridges at your current employer. If you're in a senior position or a medium position, you want to go to your employer and say, Hey, I'm considering or I've made the decision that I want to start a company. I know that I'm a key employee here. I want to make sure that I don't leave you uh, you know, with any problems. So I will I've written a job spec of everything I'm responsible for. 
I have all my best practices written and I will help you interview my replacement and find my replacement. It's probably going to take four, five, six weeks. If you want me to stay for two weeks, leave today or stay for six weeks, I'll do whatever you want. I really appreciate the opportunity to work here. When I get presented with that, I feel so good about the person and I feel no animosity towards them going and pursuing their dream. But when somebody says, I'm leaving today, which, you know, some of these millennials will just be like, today's my last day, I'm out. That kind of bullshit my God, you know, that is a way to burn bridges forever. Because now your boss has to scramble. And then everybody else gets inconvenienced. And it just sucks. And the more senior you are, the more this can hurt. Now, if you're a junior person, you can just say, listen, I'm going to give two weeks notice, do you need a third or fourth, I can do that. And you just say to your current employer, because the employ current employer might be putting pressure on you, we need you to start in two weeks, you just say to that current employer, listen, I'm going to give my current employer four weeks, because I know you would want that opportunity as well. I don't want to leave them in chaos. But I'll tell them I would prefer to leave in two weeks. But I'll give you up to four if you need it. And you know what any new employer who doesn't understand your rationale is somebody you don't want to go work for. So make sure a point number four, that you give enough warning, and you don't burn bridges, know where you are in terms of the important stack at the company. If you're in a senior leadership position, you, you might give a couple of months. If you're just a manager or a director level, you might give six weeks and hire the replacement. And what's great about doing that is and then if you're like, or, you know, rank and file, you've been there for a year, you know, low man on the totem pole, so to speak, you might say, Hey, I'd like to give two weeks notice, but I could give up to four, it's up to you. Uh, and that just makes you look gracious. And then finally, you should uh, backstop your decision. Like I'm especially if you have a partner and kids and you're on a budget, I'm going to give it a shot. If I hit these milestones, great, I'll keep going. But if I don't hit them in 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, it's probably more like 18 or 24 months, then I'm going to go back to work. So that's your five bullet points there, just to make sure your transition goes smoothly for you, your kids, if you have them, and you're blessed with great kids, uh, or even if you got some entitled, horrible kids, you still got to take care of them. That's how it works. Uh, and it's your fault if they're entitled anyway. So uh, keep that in mind. Those are your five bullet points, uh, just in terms of when you're going to quit. All right, I want to do my freelancer versus full time test. This is how you can figure out if you're being properly compensated. Freelancers exist in a marketplace. The marketplace is the person who hires a freelancer, let's say a designer, uh, or they are a social media manager, that person can be hired full time with benefits with five weeks off a year between sick days and holidays and everything else. Or you can uh, hire them freelance. If you're freelance, you get a lot of flexibility. If you're full time, you know, for the person who's buying the service, if you hire somebody full time, well, now you have to pay unemployment, you have to pay benefits. So you better need them. And you, you have to go through a full time hiring process, which is harder than hiring a freelancer. So the freelance market creates um, a dynamic uh, pricing system and full time does but it's a little bit slower, right? So let's take what you work every year as a full time employee, you're going to work 47 weeks a year, you're going to put in 4050 hours, let's just round it to 2000 hours a year, you know, maybe 2100 hours a year something in that range, but 20% of that's going to be meetings and distractions, right? So maybe you're down to working 1600 actual hours, right? That's what you're actually doing the job you were hired to do. You have to be in meetings, you got to fill out TPS reports, you know, all the mashugana and wasted time that happens. Let's say you have a 70k base salary. Now you're costing the company about 15 to 20% more people put a 10% to 20% multiplier on full time staff. Why do they do that? Benefits, obviously. So you're maybe $70,000 salaries costing the company 80,000. Now you divide that by 1600 hours, you get $50 per hour fully baked. That's what you cost your company. Great. That's how your boss might look at your work 
And if you are a boss, and you hire somebody to be, let's say a social media manager, you're looking at it saying, okay, a fully baked, this cost me $50 an hour, plus this person's part of the culture, plus they're learning plus I have 100% of their time. And so I have this nice continuity, right? I have decided I have a, um, you know, startup company and I'm or you know, I have a retail company, I need those 1600 hours because I want to put out content every freaking day. Because social media is what's going to drive what we're doing. Uh, that's how your boss is going to look at the cost. Now, if you were freelance, maybe you could sell your services for $60 an hour maybe even 75 if you're really good at that. Now, if you try to charge 100 or 150, somebody might say, well, I'll do that myself. I'm not paying somebody 100 bucks an hour to do a TikTok. I could just have my daughter or my son or I'll just have the, you know, uh, waiter or the bus boy, the one of the servers record me cooking food in my restaurant, because I'm paying them 35 bucks an hour. And so I'll just teach them how to do it, right. And that's what the freelance market does. At a certain point, if something is too expensive, you do it yourself. So if you were to hire somebody to clean your house or do your laundry, and they said it's 200 bucks an hour, you're like, you know what, I'll clean my own bathroom for that amount. I don't make that much at work. And that's why the freelance market finds an equilibrium because of competition. That's what's great about capitalism. Okay, but let's say you choose to be a freelancer and you think you can get 60 75 an hour. Well, now you have to prospect and get clients and you have to manage clients. Let's say it took 25 hours to get each of 10 clients. That would be realistic. You got to go pitch 10 people to get one to sign on. So you pitch each one, it takes two or three hours to pitch each one. And you get one out of 10. That means you're spending 250 hours a year, finding and managing your customers, you may have to spend let's say two hours a week running your small business, you got to check your email, you got to check your accounting, all that stuff. That's another 100 hours a year, just to run your small business. So if you're working 2100 hours a year, as we said before, you're going to take th as a freelancer, you're taking 350 hours off the top to manage all of your people. And then maybe that leaves you with 1700 billable hours a year 1750, whatever it is, right? Now, if you can build that at $60 an hour, you got 105,000 potential billable hours. Okay. But how many of those hours are you actually going to fill with client work? And this is where the rub comes in. Maybe you're going to fill 60% of them 70% of 80%. Who knows what your optimization is? Sometimes you're a great freelance, you got too many customers, right? And you're turning them down, in which case that hundred five thousand dollar number might be true in year two or three of you as a freelancer. But now you got to pay your benefits. And you know, you spend 10 $20,000 a year on that. And now you're back at 75k a year, almost exactly what you're getting paid to be a full time employee. So here's what you want to do. You need to run this test and see if realistically, you think your salary and what you can make as a freelancer is worth doing and worth going through all the pain and suffering of having to manage customers and clients. And so, you know, if you have people begging you for your services, and it's I would say three times more than your hourly rate as I did the formula here. If it was three or four times the hourly rate, you might be able to make a go at being a freelancer and have to deal with customers and them arguing with you about the bill and asking you to take two hours off, which by the way, is what lawyers do. And so lawyers who work and they bill out at, you know, $800 an hour, $2,000, 2000 hours a year, you know, it's, it seems like it's a lot of money, it could be, but then sometimes you just want a, a you know, a job that's easier when you're in house counsel, and you don't have to put in 2400 hours a year, etc. So for managers, you know, you should do this regularly and look at should you hire people freelance, or should you hire them full time? Because maybe you hire somebody full time, and you don't need the 1600 hours of actual work they're going to do. They're filling up a full time slot. And maybe they're not competitive. So maybe you'd be better off having four of these social media managers, giving them each 
400 hours a year of work, you know, uh, and they each get whatever it is six, seven hours a week of work with your company. Uh, and then you drop the weakest one and give their hours to the top one, right? You can have a more dynamic competition and more redundancy and more swings at bat in terms of, you know, how good they are. And this is why people will outsource their legal work. They might have somebody who does really great IP work. Somebody else does great corporate work. Somebody does litigation and you use a mix of freelancers depending on what you need at that time. And if you decide you don't need any freelancers for six months, you're not paying them, which is what happens with full-time employees. You have to pay them no matter what happens. If market conditions go down, your only choice is to fire them, pay severance and, and you know, have to deal with uh, that basically, uh, you know, a mini divorce. Uh, this is why I think it's important for you as the manager as well to run these. We are doing seven podcasts a week, six episodes of this week in startups and a seventh episode of um, all in and we're launching another uh, we're launching two more podcasts, which will add two more a week, which will be nine. Now should I use freelancers? Oh my god, that's just not possible when you have this amount of content. In fact, I need like three or four full time people. But I do like to have freelancers in the mix. And if you have some freelancers in the mix who will edit a podcast for $250 or whatever, then if somebody takes a week off, you can have them come in and do a little bit of work. So sometimes you want to, if somebody leaves your company, say, hey, would you like to freelance for us sometimes? And that keeps them in the mix, you keep the relationship. And then you could also have one of my favorite things in the world, which I call boomerang employees. I've had many times a great salesperson, a, you know, a great video editor, whatever it is, they decide they want to go freelance. Then they decide, you know what, I kind of liked working at the company and being part of the culture and not being, you know, a Ronin out there alone, you know, fighting battles. And so if somebody's great and they leave your company and they do that nice smooth transition when they tell you, hey, J-Cal, I'll hire my replacement. I wrote everything down on this beautiful notion page and I outlined it perfectly for you. This person can hit the ground running. Here's where the bodies are buried. Here's the things that I'm worried about for you. Here are the things I'm doing that you could probably outsource or retire that I didn't need to be doing. Or this person could probably take on this 25% of my role and then you could just figure out maybe outsource this 75% of my role. That kind of thoughtful leaving of a company sets you up for the boomerang. And it basically gives you this great safety net. Hey, I'm leaving. I want to try something else. But I really loved working here. I really did a great transition out. And I would love to uh, stay in touch. That's really the high order. Mm, chef's kiss. That's the way to do it. And you know what, when I'm an investor and something doesn't go well, I literally this week talked to three founders who I previously invested in and said, Hey, what's next? That's my playbook. Okay, so there it is. I try to keep these under 20 minutes. I try to keep them really tight. You really got two swings at bat here in terms of the freelancer test and you know how to leave your uh, company. And we recorded this live at uh, youtube.com slash this weekend. And when I recorded it live, I got some uh, questions from the audience. And I'll answer a couple of those. Nima asks, how important it, is it to find a co founder before you leave the solo dolo route advisable question mark? If you have a great idea, Having a co founder is awesome, because you can split the load and it's less lonely. But I would not wait for a co founder to show up. That's just me. I would rather see you start and then start hiring people or start doing meetings with people and then eventually find a founding team. So I really, really, really would like to see you just start and not wait. That's my best advice. A couple of people are asking me to recap when to quit points. So let me go through those really, really quick. If you've chosen to quit, these are your five bullet points. Number one, make sure you own any IP if you're stepping away to do another project, make sure you have the cash and runway personally, make sure you have your skills already dialed in, right? These are preparing so you don't have, you know, potholes, or you flip the car on the first turn out of the gate. 
you have to own your IP, make sure that's all taken care of. You don't want to have a downstream lawsuit. Two, you want to make sure you have tons of runway so you can intelligently build. Three, you want to have your skills dialed in. So make sure you do that skill work and sharpen your blade. You don't want to go into battle with a dull blade that you don't know how to use. Number four, make sure you give your employer uh, and your teammates plenty of runway so you don't burn your bridges so you could potentially become a boomerang employee or have them as a customer down the road. And finally, you know, maybe set a backstop an ultimatum. Maybe if you have a partner, you need to do this. Or maybe just to be intellectually honest yourself, if I can raise if I get into an accelerator, in the first 18 months, if I get an angel round, or I get 10 paying customers, then I'm going to keep going. If I don't, I'm going to shut this idea down and get back to work at a company where I can, you know, then build up my chip stack again, rinse and repeat, come up with another great idea on the weekends, refine my skills and then go back at it 18 months from now. So if you look at your life in these 18 month cycles, you work 18 months, you sharpen your skills, 24 months, maybe let's say 24 months sounds a little more um, realistic. 24 months, you work at a company, you build up your skills, you build up your chip stack, you have a great idea, you go decide to do it. You spend 24 months on it, it doesn't work, you didn't hit your milestones, you go back to work. Now you're more valuable, boom, you get a better salary, you get more responsibility, you sharpen your blade, then you take a second swing at it. This will give you the ability to kind of manage your own psychology and your own burnout, because the startup will be burnout. And here is a simple matrix. If you're learning and you're growing <laughs> your salary, you know, if you look at the top right hand corner, man, you're learning a lot and you're getting paid well, that blue zone, boom, perfect. Stay there. Don't go anywhere. The yellow zone, uh, the top left quadrant quadrant, man, you're learning a lot and you got modest pay. Stay there. It doesn't matter. You're learning. If you're not learning and you're not getting paid well and your pay's not growing, well, why are you there? The bottom left is obvious, quit. The top left is obvious, stay. And then the other two is really your station in life. The worst station is that red zone, modest pay, not learning. The best place, great pay, learning a lot, that's your ideal situation. Now the green zone, hey, listen, you're not learning, but you're banking a ton of money. You're that sales exec or whatever, or you know, you're doing accounting, but you happen to be the accountant at Google and you were the first ones or your stock options are going up. Secure the bag, right? Do it for your family, do it for you, build your chip stack. You're not learning, that's fine. Do stuff on the weekend to learn, to supplement, to keep your uh, yourself intellectually engaged. And then in the top left, this is a startup zone, you're not going to get paid a lot, but you're gonna learn a lot. I like people being in any of these three zones, depending on what your goals are. And then the amount of time, I think you stay in the yellow zone, two or three years, the green zone, two or three years, the blue zone, five, six, seven years. You know, if you can get on a Google and stay there, man, when you get that second equity grant, you know, in your first four years, and that could be really a creative and you your learning could be amazing, you could have great positions. So there it is. That's the learning versus compensation matrix. Okay, that's it for episode two of the blueprint. Stay tuned for part three next week, where I'm going to cover how to build and leverage your network, which is my speciality. Okay, that's it for episode two of the blueprint. Stay tuned for part three next week, where I'm going to cover how to build and leverage your network, which is my speciality. Okay, let's get to our startup of the day. Who's our startup of the day today? Mom. Startup of the day, I think is so interesting, because mm. we've been talking about this app for a long time. And then all of a sudden, everybody stopped talking about this app. And now this app is back. Be okay. real. The photo sharing app be real, which was like all the rage for a minute. And then I stopped, I think Rachel might have stopped. However, stopped. it's back. On Monday, Be Real became the number one free app in the iOS App Store. Okay. According to the research firm Aptopia, it's been installed 20 million times with 330,000 downloads hmm. on Sunday alone and evidently is raising a Series B. 
that's the big news today is that Yuri Milner, um, who famously invested uh, in Facebook when everybody else thought it was worth six, seven, eight billion dollars, Yuri Milner came in and he said, hey, I think it's worth 10 billion because he had seen all of the international growth of social networks like local ones in Russia and other places. And he came over the top. And what he had actually done was he offered the common shares employees, this is when Facebook was in the dumps. And, you know, the market was a little troubled. He offered like, I don't know, a six or $7 billion valuation for common shares. And then he offered a higher valuation and beat all the venture capitalists in Silicon Valley who thought the valuation was too high. They didn't know that he had done a blended deal. Mm. This is like one of the greatest trades in the history of Silicon Valley. So he said, I'll offer, everybody offers offering, like I'm just making a number up here, but this is kind of the range it was in. Everybody else is offering six, seven, seven or $8 billion valuation for Facebook to buy primary stock, preferred shares, mm -hmm. the, the, the top class of shares. I'm going to offer the employees 6.5 billion. I'm going to offer Facebook Zuckerberg 10 billion. So he gets the headline number of the higher one, but I'm going to buy more of the common than of the preferred. And then I'll blend my position and I'll actually be paying the seven or 8 billion that the other VCs are willing to pay, but I'll beat them in the deal. Huh? And that's something that Masayoshi san also did when he bought SoftBank, uh, when SoftBank Vision Fund bought Uber shares, they bought some primary shares from Uber at one price that I think was pretty high. And then they offered us not like that dramatic, but maybe it was 10% less, I think for the common shares of Uber, uh, which I took advantage of. Uh, so that that was the trade. And so hmm. he made his money, uh, you know, I think well over $10 billion if he held his shares in Facebook, because he owned a couple of like 3% maybe or something like that. I think Yuri Milner had gotten two or 3%. So um, this is back to his playbook. And Rachel, they, by the way, would like to know she most certainly did not okay. stop using. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be real. She's still there. Got it. So they're saying that DST Global, which is Yuri Milner, and he's a great investor. Uh, they're saying the valuation will be 600 million. In mm -hmm. June, a 16 Excel led B-Real's $30 million round value in the company at 150. And it was launched in 2020. So mm -hmm. in two years, this company has become worth 600 million. This is what happens when you catch lightning in a bottle in the social networking space. Yeah. Um, and there's two reasons why these companies get valued this way. There's two because really important they reasons. have right. Yeah, no, I got what it. What would be the two reasons? Uh, yeah, well, I, these are the two reasons I think they get valued so I mean, ridiculously. I assume because they have growth, virality, you know virality, it. right? Just when straight up virality. When you hit virality, it is unstoppable. Yeah. And so I think Yuri Milner has determined that this company has hit virality and it's going to go straight to you know a hundred million users or something crazy like that because he's okay. seen that movie before. Virality is number one. There's a very specific number two. Because they say so? Two is because I mean, that, these you know, just makes companies uh, get bought and go public because of that virality. Yeah. So if you look, you had a, a business to business company that was viral. Slack got bought mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. went public and got bought. You have Snap went public. You have Twitter. You have Instagram got bought. Was going to go public. You got WhatsApp got bought. When things go viral like this, a LinkedIn went public and then got bought. I think that was the order of events, right? Because it was a public company when it got bought. So yeah. you, you have this, um, these companies, because they're high growth, just like we were talking about Netflix being low growth now, you know, 8% growth year over year and subscribers going down. Mm -hmm. Markets like both VC, private and public markets love growth. They love growth. And so that means even if you pay a little bit more here, because it's yeah. doubling every year or tripling every year in user base, quadrupling every year, 
which these things can do, it's a pretty great bet. So growth cures everything. And that's what these things do. Maybe you could explain to people how it works. I know I'm literally looking up like why it's popping again right now. Well, um, and got a little distracted yeah. by it. Okay, so but w- it, it's interesting that it's viral at all. So the way that be real works is that you uh, get a notification, you know, at a certain time every day, not the same time every day, you get a random notification that's like, it's time to be real. And the theory is you're just supposed to stop what you're doing, yes. take a picture in that moment of your real mm-hmm. life, like what you're yes. doing. You can't see any of your friends posts unless you post. Right. And that's it. It's pay to play. You have to participate in order to get the benefit of seeing your friend stuff. And the front and back is really interesting. So it's a little more authentic, right? You get this. Yeah, exactly. It it activates both cameras at the same time. So you can sort of flip them if you want. But you you know, you could the way you might manipulate it is to choose to have the front facing be primary. But yes, Mm -hmm. you get a photo of like what's behind you, and what you're looking at, you know, your reality, right? And what you're looking at. So more reality, I will be honest and say, then part of what happened is I was like, every single picture is just me and my computer screen. And it got a little like, you know, but it's pretty. It's nice when you're out in the real world, I'll say because you know, I like to take a picture of my food. Like if you're right. one of those food Better photographers, so now you get yourself and your salad, or you're taking a picture of the mountain, you're skiing or you're mountain biking. Now you got a picture of you and the other what's going on in the mountain. Or if you work for me, you've got a picture of your desk and you're frowning because you've I've just put 20 things on your punch list. Like it's no, always I'm that. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah, it, it's I, always I, just I like me it. being like, damn it, mm. database. You know, um, it's like the same. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really liked it for a while. I'm very curious to see. It, apparently people have sort of i think enough people have caught on that what's one of the things that's making it more viral is now people are making memes about it so they're taking ah. like historical photos like there's one oh that's hilarious you know and so Can they're we saying see those? Like, sir oh it's God. time to be real here i'll drop them they're all uh, there's a couple of them in this uh verge article like they've yeah. got um that's hilarious a post at the end of call me by your name like it's time to be real and then it's like front i, I didn't watch it but it's you know front-facing camera version, kid crying, and then some stuff on fire. Like, so they're turning it into, or like, during sex. Oh my God, babe, it's time to be real. Oh, so oops. there are memes yeah. that are making, like, be real content more interesting than it actually is. And I think that's making people want to download it. Like, it's pretty I love funny. The historical ones. Like, you could take a picture of some famous historical figure, Joan of Arc or something. Or Yeah. yeah. And it would that, just be like, a, sir, it's time idea. to be real. Yeah. I will give you a warning here. As fast as these things can go up. Exactly. They can go down. So much like um, restaurants or clubs, some restaurants and clubs become perennials. Every mm-hmm. year, people still flock to them. So if you go to New York, you go to the Odeon. It was hip when I was, you know, just going to Manhattan at 18 years old that in 1988, 1990, people were going, I guess, to the Odeon and it was super cool, bright lights, big city. And then, you know, I go to Manhattan now and sometimes I'll stop by for a drink and meet people there. It's the same place, same vibe. It's timeless, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you hope to hit one of those like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, where it becomes timeless and it locks in a certain audience forever for their lives. Mm -hmm. They never want to give it up. And if it does go away, it's like tragic, but more often than not, remember Dispo that David Dobrik, remember that dummy, uh, from YouTube. Now to be fair, (laughs) maybe that could have been an app that a bunch of people used if he had not turned out to be like the worst yeah i mean a, just there was a couple of brand issue, brand equity issues there yeah, i don't want to the, double click on it but, but I, no, you know, I mean the, 
Yeah, we lots really, of bad stuff. That's what I think is so interesting about the fact that this app is having a resurgence is like on my theory that content is king. The mm. content on Be Real is yeah. only okay for only so long. So right. yeah, I mean, would I and, and and you know, one of our very smart noties was like, how does Be Real make money? It do- doesn't. Not yet. And it has no stated path to monetization. So we have no idea. It'll and it's buggy clear. as yeah. heck. Uh, what I'll say would is I like, make this investment. Nope. Yeah, I mean, if, if there are a certain group of people who love to make these investments, because they're very binary, either it becomes huge, and you make 50 100 times your money, or you lose it all. If you lose all your money investing, you know exactly what you're going to lose. So if you put in $20 million, you lose 20. Mm-hmm. But if you win, and you win 50 100 200 500 times your money, my God, it's just, you know, unbelievable what can happen. There was that paparazzi one, uh, uh, benchmark uh, led that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Locket was yeah. one, um, which Dispo. then put every uh, Locket put all your photos four. on. Um, it put your Locket's device was it put all your the photos on a widget on your home screen, and then you remember the David Dobrik one, Dispo, which was actually yeah. clever. You take a bunch of pictures with like this disposable camera interface, and then the next day, I guess you get a roll of them, so you have that experience of opening them up. Yeah, these like little devices are kind of fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's really what you're looking for in one of these social networks is you come up with a new content format or a device that, that drives people. virality and engagement. It, it really, yeah. it's an engagement kind of trick. And so, you know, filters were one engagement trick. Uh, remember the streaks on uh, Snapchat? Some people were just using Snapchat because of streaks. I have this like oh, thousand yeah. day streak where I chat with my friends. That was another one of them. So. For founders who are listening, you know, it's great to study these things. And then it should inspire you to come up with a really amazing device. And so like J trading is like a little device here for this podcast. Like if you're into trading now, maybe I get some portion of the trading audience to come here. Like I would really like some trading people to explain to me shorting and puts and calls, you know, eventually when I get 10, 20 trades and explain to me how I would do one of those. So because I've never done them and I'd like to learn that. So uh, are, we done? are we done here? Well, it also kept showing up. Yeah, I think we're good. We I have a, we, we have a bunch of stories we didn't get to today. So just for, you know, the, the rest of the week's docket, we are going to yeah. talk talk about PitchBooks, US Venture Monitor, uh, Q2 data. So the Q2 data is out. I also think Crunchbase's data is out. I think they're like both competing to get us to cover their data. So maybe we'll compare so. them and see. Crunchbase just had a raise too. Oh, did they really? Oh, that's mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Google Glass, uh, which launched, I think, eight years ago and got people beat up in bars <laughs> for <laughs> obnoxiously taking pictures of people without their knowledge on dance floors, um, they're going to, uh, according to the information, start testing new AR sort of glasses. So we'll, we'll, we'll get the details on that out to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and we got Lon Harris coming on. We'll talk oh, a little bit more, more about, about the about streaming. streaming we got to pick a show. We need your help picking a show because yes. I tried Westworld. I'm sorry. It's unwatchable. Oh, were you a Westworld watcher up till now? I watched the first two seasons. I didn't Got even it. realize there was a whole third season. And then you had to get to the fourth one. And then I'm trying to catch up and it's terrible. <sighs> we should just yeah. talk about winning time. I think winning time might be the one to do. Because it's a great I streaming think show. It's, it's an entrepreneur show. It's an entrepreneur show. So I mm-hmm. think maybe winning time would be good because I'm three episodes Fine. into that. And I think probably most people have not watched it. So it'd be a fun thing to just talk about. Maybe we do it in like, how many episodes was it? Six, seven episodes? Eight. Like eight okay maybe we do it in two chunks or something um yeah, yeah. that might be good okay love it